Bazalan, how are you doing? Are you all good? This morning and for the next few weeks, we want to answer some of the questions that many people who visit our church ask us. And some of these questions, we have found a footing in them. In other words, we have found the answers that we are convinced that this is what God wants us to do. Some of them, we are still in transition. We are debating as leaders. Amen. You know, it's good to debate. It's good to, for iron to sharpen another. Amen. And some of the issues that I want to raise, I want you to be aware that over many years, the church has grappled with them. There have been debates. And on many of these issues, the church has not reached consensus. But there are things that in themselves will help us to serve God better within a common understanding, even if as the body, we do not necessarily agree on those things. Amen. In the same token, there are things that we can never, as the body of Christ, disagree on. Amen. And John says one of those things, he says, and this, Jesus is the one telling us, he says, and this is eternal life. This verse was shared during the week. As we are praying. And this is eternal life. That they know. That they believe. That they comprehend. That you, Father, are the only God. And they must believe in you. And in your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And therefore, whatever our debates. As churches. As local church leadership. We can never depart from the consensus that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If we disagree on that, we totally disagree. Every other issue we disagree on is irrelevant for as long as we disagree that Jesus is the only way. Amen. So if we can agree first and foremost that Jesus is Lord and his Savior and the church is those who are born of his spirit, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. If we can agree that according to Romans chapter 8, when you read from verse 7 to 9, you get to where it says, And he who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ for God. Knows those that are his. Which means not everyone who says Lord, Lord. Belongs to him. If we can agree. Then we can debate. But if we can't agree on those things. Then there's no door open for debate. We just represent two kingdoms. The only thing we can engage on. Is whether you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or not. Are you there, saints? So, I want to answer a question on the things that we do as a local church. Now, remember, 
We are a local church, but we are part of a universal body of Christ. Whatever part we are in the body, we have a function to fulfill. And as I said, many of the things that we want to talk about in the next few weeks, wherever you may come from, and perhaps even whilst you are here, we may not necessarily agree, but we must see why we do what we do the way we do it. So that when you agree or disagree with us, you understand the premise from which we move as a local church. Why do we do finances the way we do them? Why do we do church governance the way we do it? Why do we try to disciple the way we disciple? Why and why and all the things you may have. Why do we baptize the way we baptize? Why do we do communion the way we do it? Should we be doing it? There are other things that I personally may not necessarily agree with the way we do them as a church. But it is a process of overhauling ourselves in the context of scripture, not our preferences. And so what we are going to try and do is first and foremost talk about what Presumably, you should all be knowing. Because we taught them. But the truth is, sometimes people know the answer. They don't know the method. I remember when I was doing first year, we were doing a course called mechanics. And in mechanics, we were given problems that had different principles moments, rotational forces, applied cal calculus, and so on and so on. And we're trying to solve these problems. And some of us had never failed until that point. I got that thing wrong. And I remember I went to our lecture, and his name was Cohen. I said, Amen. Can you explain this thing? And he said to me, show me how you solve the problem. And I showed him, I showed him. And he said to me, try to solve the problem without using numbers. Only use symbols that have specific meanings as it pertains to the problem. And solve it to the end before... You add numbers. And as you go down with your problem solving, if need be, explain to the lecturer what are you trying to do. What are these symbols meaning in the context of the problem? So that when you get to the answer, whether the answer is right or wrong, the person can understand how you got to that answer. Those of you who did maths, you remember that? That they marked steps, right? Not necessarily just the answer. Because sometimes the answer might be an error of punching the, the calculator. Sometimes it might just be that you forgot mental, you remember? 
two plus two, two times two. It might just be that. But it didn't mean you didn't know how to get to the answer. Now, the, the reality with us as a church, not just a local church, but let me talk about the, the evangelicals. Evangelicals have caused a lot of confusion. And I'm saying evangelicals because we are also clustered under that group. And every other church expression, whether it be Catholicism, any other form of the body of Christ has rules and understanding of how they have come to their conclusions. For us, it has just been one guy who wakes up and says, as I was sleeping, I dreamt. And that becomes our theology. That becomes how people eat red and drink things that they shouldn't be drinking. And so I'm saying to you, as a local church, therefore, we need to answer why we do the things we do the way we do them. Firstly, for you to understand why we do them so that we are in Amos 3.3 with you. We are working together because we understand each other. And secondly, for your own warning, so that if we're doing things that violate your conscience, we do not make you twice the sons of hell. You can run away as early as now. I'm just repeating these things. You know them, most of you. But also because these days, churches get their mandate from political leaders and no longer from Christ. And therefore, we need to be clear about what is our mandate. The government is not our authority in our mandate and mission. And we need to be clear that their agenda is not our agenda. Are you hearing me say? We need within our own scope of responsibility attend to contemporary issues like COVID, like sickness, like all these other things. But that's not our mandate and mission as a church. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Are you there? Go, therefore, and make disciples. So it is amazing that now the church has taken a secular mandate and is running with it at the expense of the gospel of Christ. And every church member has since taken a leave from being a witness of Jesus. And death as an eminent reality, as something that happens every day, has become a deterrent. It has become a stumbling block to God's children in preaching the gospel. We have gone against the admonish of Jesus. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their lives, they will certainly lose it. But whoever loses his life, for the gospel's sake and for my sake. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm saying in the process of 
magnifying Jesus as Lord and Savior, the possibility of losing your life is there. And it must be something that we should do willingly with great agency now that these days people can die without the gospel. I'm confronted with a reality that I hope confronts you. How many of us this week have never been outside their homes? None. Right? How many of us have met people whilst we were out of our homes? In malls, in taxis, in wherever at work. How come we are not preaching to those people? It's because we have taken a different mandate and we are since on leave from our eternal ramifications mandate. And it is because you keep hearing these voices. You know? Secular voices that are making us undermine what we are called to do. Because we are being given a different agenda and a methodology by governments. Are you there? So we need to answer ourselves, what are we doing and why are we doing it? So whilst we are on that point of why we are doing these things that we are doing. So in our quest to get through these talks without divisions amongst ourselves and without unnecessary heads and controversies. I'm going to propose a, an approach that we should employ as we go through these things. Right? Number one, we are going to ask questions. Right? I get it's an unfolding process. Today I'll tell you the, the questions we need to ask. And as you engage, as you confront us as leadership, as you want clarity on matters, ask questions yourself, right? So that's number one. We ask questions. Number two, we seek biblical answers to the questions we are asking, not traditional answers. In other words, whatever informs our position right now should be argued on scripture, not on experiences and traditions. So whatever I know as a person, I will shelve it for the sake of the debate and for the sake of the discussions. Right? Luana, you should do the same. Don't say, yeah, I was at this church. They do. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, here's a question. What does the Bible say about that question as it Gives us answers. Now, when we look at biblical answers, let us acknowledge that we will, at one point or another, differ in our interpretations and conclusions on the matter. Right? Which means we will disagree based on what, how we see that verse not necessarily on what we think is happening pragmatically. Landwar. So when we err, 
when we make mistakes, when we misunderstand each other, it should be because we are looking at scripture from differing angles. We must err on the side of scripture. Now, again, like I said, in some of these things, we are in a transition. So it's not a problem not to know. Nobody knows everything. But it's a problem to bring your own tradition to scripture. Are you there, saints? And then we will look at what is our application of that scripture as we have understood it. And therefore we can conclude this is why we are doing this thing the way we are doing it. And Luena, when you go, and other people ask you, so why do you do this in your local church? You are able to say, rightly or wrongly, maybe we are wrong, maybe we are right, but the point is, we came from this direction to get to this conclusion. And if we are wrong, by God's grace, someone will enlighten us. Because that's our portion. Apollos preached Christ very well, but he still needed to know the baptism, the right baptism. And there was no shame in Priscilla and Aquila calling him to enlighten him. Are you there, Bazalan? So, Father, we want to thank you for your word. I pray that your word will find a place in our hearts. Lord, as I said, not to cause controversies, but to actually unite us in a common understanding of what You've called us as a local church to do in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's start what you already know. For this week and next week, we'll state the obvious things that I assume you know and how we got to those conclusions. Some of them you may know, but let's take a different approach on church governance first. We're going to talk church governance. We're going to talk finances. We're going to talk all about these things. But here is where I want us to start. When you read, let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 17. If you are ready, let's start there. In Matthew chapter 17, at the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember when Jesus' glory was shown to the disciples. Elijah and Moses were there. Peter, James, and John were also there. In verse 4 it says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God the Father says, he affirms Jesus for the second time now. This he spoke at, at baptism, you remember. Now this time, what I want to emphasize is that God says, my son, this beloved son of mine, I am well pleased with who he is, what he says, what he does. Are you following? So I am completely pleased with him if you want to be pleasing to me. What must you do? 
Listen to him. So the premise from which we must move, therefore, is that everything that we want to debate around must first emanate from what Jesus said. Because sometimes we debate on the book of Acts. We debate on the epistles. But in our debate, we have not even agreed. And uh, we'll talk about this next week when we get to the apostles. We must agree when we debate from what other people say about what Jesus said or what they do. We must agree. Is what they are saying or what we are reading, is it prescriptive or descriptive only? You know when a doctor gives you a prescription, they say go to a chemist, a pharmacist, buy this medication, right? What is the point of a prescription? Is to go and buy the medicine and then you just take selfies with the medicine. What's the point? The point is, it is a necessity for you to drink. Are you there? So when we say it's prescriptive, we are basically saying, it's what we are reading, what we must do. Are you following? Or is it just descriptive? Is it just explaining what they had to do within the context that they found themselves? In other words, it's an option. So that when we say Jesus is Lord and no one comes to God the Father without him, would you agree that that's prescriptive? If you don't agree, it means you didn't understand anything of what I just said earlier on. A prescription is a must. Now you hearing? So the only way to get to God is through the prescription of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Are you following? So next week we will pick on that. But this week let's ask simple questions. What did Jesus say about church? Right? Remember, we want to start with what he said. What did the father say? Listen to him. So we want to hear what did he say. To whom did he say what he said? Right? What did he do about what he said himself? Jesus. And how was he understood in relation to the church itself by those who heard him the first time. Are you hearing? We'll unpack, we'll do an example for this week so that you, you are. And how did those giving the message interpret it and practicalize it? And of all that they heard, what were the deviations? And for us who are hearing it secondhand, how do we interpret what they interpreted about what Jesus said? And how are we going to apply those things? Are you still there?
Okay. Let's try and go with the simple verse that we all know in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, remember Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say I, the son of man, am? Remember, some say you are the prophet Elijah. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter answers. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by men, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hate will not overcome it. Amen. So now, what did Jesus say about the church? So this is the first time we hear Jesus talking about the church. Again. So at this point, we are only going to concern ourselves with what did he say and what did he do and what are the implications of that. So let's not debate for today whether when he says you are Peter on this rock, I'll build my church. Let's not debate that part. Ne? Let's get to this point. On this rock, I will build my church. Right? Let's, let's look at those. For most of you, you know this stuff. But we need to understand why we get to the conclusions that we make as a local church. Right? So Jesus says, I will build. In the first instance, he speaks in a singular first person. In other words, I will not depend on the power and the ability and the initiative of another person, but I will do it. So our understanding, therefore, from the onset should be that any good thing, any form of building and strengthening the church is never the work of men. It is the work of Jesus himself. Are you there? And therefore, it is wrong for anyone to claim that the anointing that they are using is their anointing that builds the church. At this point, it is sufficient for us to just only say what Jesus said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to build alongside with Jesus. Are you there? So we are invited, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, we are God's co-workers. God has invited us. The work and the ability is done by him. Not even Jesus claimed. He says, the works that I do, it is my father doing them. Jesus acknowledged the father. It is wrong for those who see stuff happening in church to simply give the impression that it's them doing it. We should be able to say, the Lord is doing it. Glory to his name, I'm just a vessel. Are you there? 
These are obvious things. We all know those. But then he also says, it will be my and mine alone. Ownership of the church is not an ownership of an entity. And that's where we get it mixed up. When Jesus says, my church, that understanding must be extended beyond ownership. Because the church is the bride of Christ. So in other words, Jesus could be saying, I will build my beloved. I will build my bride, my beautiful one. So it's a relational ownership. And therefore, because it's a covenantal relational relationship of Christ as the groom and the church as the bride is an exclusive ownership. What does that mean? It means it is wrong for you and I to use the terminology of ownership in relation to the church. Can I be frank? It's wrong for pastors to say it is my church. As a matter of fact, in some plains in Malaysia, what I can't remember, what we call a taboo in the African context, I was surprised that it's normalized. Where a, a woman can have more than two husbands. Uh, you see, look at your faces. Because you are saying, eh? That sounds not right. Right? Therefore, it is a taboo for those who stand in front of the church to make that declaration about the church. If we were simply using grammar, we would have to hope that when you say my church, you are speaking like my family. You are saying where I belong, not where I own. But unfortunately, that's the state. We're still talking about the stuff that you know. Then he says, my church, I won't go deeper into the issues of the church. We've spoken about that. The Bible tells us in, in Titus, Titus tells us that for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to all ungodliness. He says, as we wait the appearing of Christ, what did Christ do with the church? He says, Christ has died to cleanse for himself an exclusive membership of people eager to do good works. So he's still explaining. Paul tells us in, in, in 2nd Corinthians 5.15, that he died that, so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So all these verses seek to bring us to one conclusion. 
church in whatever form it should be must exclusively belong to Jesus. And no other person must make claims of ownership and of founding in the strictest sense of the word founder. Are you still there? These are the things you know, right? And then Jesus did something about the church's leadership. He says, I will build my church, right? So what does he then do? The Bible says he comes among the, amidst the disciples and he breathes to them. He says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Ne? And then later on he says, in a, by implication, you have received the work of the Holy Spirit regeneration. You are born again. You are children of God, right? For what is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of the Spirit is spirit. But he says, then you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon. The Holy Spirit does not come upon unless he's already within. Because the Holy Spirit is a gift of God to God's children who have already accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior again. So now, what does Jesus do? Firstly, he goes around collecting people. Are you there? And then after he collected people, he chooses 12 amongst those. What am I trying to say to you? I'm trying to say to you at this point, just be aware that Jesus didn't have 12 disciples. I guess we are trying to follow the steps to the conclusion of what we want to get to when we talk about church governance. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, let's read from verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came. Now remember, Luke tells us that on this particular day, he says, Jesus went to pray, and he prayed the whole night. You remember that? Before he chooses these guys. Are you there? So he says, he appointed, okay, let's, let's, let's take a few steps back. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Are you there? Hold the thought. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, There's a meeting in the upper room 
they, they want to replace Judas. You remember the story? I'm reading from verse 20. You can read it from anywhere you want. Peter said, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. So, by implication, when we read this verse, Peter is already telling us that what did Jesus do to start the church? He breathed the Holy Spirit. He chose the 12, right? So the first leadership level that Jesus chose for the church was the 12 apostles. Are you there? Now, Peter tells us that now they need to replace. But I want, the point I want to labor now is whether the 12 were the exclusive only ones who qualified. Are you there? It says, verse 21, Therefore, it is necessary to choose, listen to the criteria, one of the men who have been with us the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from John's baptism. Who understands the straightforwardness of that verse? When we were chosen by Christ after he prayed the whole night, we were not the only ones available to be chosen. As we stand here, there were those amongst us who were there with us from the time Jesus was baptized. Unless my interpretation is wrong. It says, those who were with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these men must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Do you hear the history of the people that are being chosen? So, Jesus had the multitudes, and from the multitudes chose the 12. Are we still there? Okay. Okay. Time is beating me for where I want to get today. Let me just jump other things. I will talk about them next week, but let's get to this point. So these guys are chosen by Jesus, right? Jesus gives them few important instructions. Let's go to Matthew 23. We'll look at it in other portions of Scripture. I don't want us to be left hanging about what I intended to say. Is that okay? So I just want us to get through some important aspects of what I want to say. Listen to what it says, verse 20, uh, chapter 23. Uh, let's take it from verse 1, verse 9, but let's take it from verse 1. It says, then Jesus says to the crowds and to his disciples, distinction, right? Crowds and his disciples. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. You must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. 
they tie up are you there? heavy loads and pull them on men's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them everything they do is done for men to see they make their phylacteries wide uh, the, the scriptural boxes that they were putting on their foreheads and their arms. It says, and the, the tassels on their garments long. They love, now listen, he says, don't be like them, right? They love what? They love what? The places of honor at banquets. At church. Ne? And what? The most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Now, here's an instruction to future leaders of the church, right? Now he says, but you, you are not to be called rabbi teacher. We'll come to what does that mean. For you have only one master. And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father or Abba. For you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you called to be teachers. You have one teacher that is the Christ. Are you there? Let's go to um, chapter 20 of the same book. I agree we are in verse 23, in chapter 23, right? Let's look at verse 25, Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them together. Who are these? Who are these people that he's calling? Great. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Ne? And they are high officials, their leaders, exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to save and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let me just interpret some of the things and we will work towards lending this issue. Jesus is not talking about civil authority. Right? We have government leaders, we have doctors, we have, these people have their titles that belong to them. But he's talking about those who are going to lead the church and how the church relates. Are you there? Now, he says this, and I want you to understand. He wants us to reject all names and titles that are used to signify authoritative power over men's conscience in matters of faith and obedience. Let me try and explain. 
You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides you. You were born again, again, by your own choice. You are a child of God. You are under our authority as delegated by God. But the authority we have over your life is only in so far as the Bible tells us we have authority. Are you there? Now, there is an authority we do not have over your life. And that is an authority of dictating what your conscience of manipulating what you do, how you do it, and why. And I'll explain why. Jesus says, you only have one Lord. That's me. Right? What does that mean? Don't call any other person Lord. Here on earth, you have one Lord, meaning you have only one person who dictates fully what you become and what you do. So as pastors, I can't dictate that you should tithe or not tithe. I cannot dictate the things you should do or not do. I can only teach you what the Lord says you must do when you are submitted to his lordship. I don't have to enforce that. I can discipline where you have erred, according to scripture. We'll come to discipline later. But I cannot enforce what is between you and your Lord. In a similar manner, Jesus says, don't call anyone Father or Abba because you have only one Father. That one is a bit confusing, isn't it? But remember, we are not talking about biological relationship. Your, your father is your father. But he says, never make anyone the father of your spirit. He says, never allow anyone to have the dictates of authority over your spirit as a father. Because only your father in heaven has that authority. And what I love, he says, do not let anyone call you. Eh? So when some of you want to say, Papa, when we want to try and explain to you that, no, 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 no. You may not be meaning that I have taken the place of God in your life. You may want to say, spiritual father. But even there, you are likely to err, as you see where people now, even when Papa is wrong, because he has taken the authority of someone who cannot be questioned because of their position over your life. When they are wrong, you will still support. You will still go wrong because firstly they allowed you to call them father. When Christ had said, don't do it, it's not a semantics things. I'm Ruti Maraki semantics. We'll talk about that. The church is in grave danger because they say, ah, it's semantics. He says, you have the only teacher, the Holy Spirit. Don't give the authority of the dictates of doctrine in your heart 
completely to men. Because men will teach you from the flesh. Men will teach you from tradition. Men will also teach you from the doctrines of demons. But there is an anointing that is not a fake according to John 2.27. In other words, things are not right because pastors say so. Things are right if the Holy Spirit confirms them to you by the word of God. Are you still there? Okay. Let's land it with a simple example. How did these people respond? So that the, the apostles are coming now. I'm trying to land it on a lighter note. Né? So that you feel like we preached something that makes sense. The apostles, they go, they start the church. They do all these things they do. They were taught, I guess. Don't lord it over them. Don't manipulate them. Don't abuse them. Don't misuse the church. Don't treat the church like it belongs. They, they, they know these things now. Paul says, we came to you like a nursing mother and a father. Right? Listen to the language of the Bible. My dear children. You see? He's not using it as a it's a language of endearment, not a language of authority. He says, I want you to be free. Now watch. So let me read these two verses and then you tell me what you think. In Acts chapter 2, the very verse that we all know and love. It says, verse 42, Acts chapter 2. I'm telling you the response of the church, right? I get it. We know what Christ said. We'll do other examples from what Christ said next week. It says, verse 42, they devoted themselves to their apostles. And then I pause. And that's my... The end of my statement. What does your Bible say? To what? What does your Bible say? Don't worry. I'm not asking you a trick question. What does your... They devoted themselves to what? To what? Apostles or apostles' teachings. Teach me some English. Is there a difference there? Are you sure? Because the Bible says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, teaching them all that I have taught you. Teaching them. Right? What does Luke say? He says, most excellent Theophilus. In my past book, I wrote to you about what Jesus began to do and to teach. I get so now Jesus said, if you are my disciples, you will be committed to my teachings. So more now where we are reading, unless my interpretation is wrong, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. What were they teaching? What Jesus taught. Are you there? Okay. Let's go to our last verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
Oh, go see Jesus. Thank you. I'm talking about deviations. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly mere infants in Christ. You are very carnal. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. For what? For solid food. Indeed, you are still not ready. And they are speaking in tongues, they are doing all these things. Armar, you are still not ready. He says, why are you saying you are not ready? He says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling, divisions among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Why? What is the sign that they are acting like mere men? For one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. What are you making of that? Can I conclude by telling you this? This is not in the strictest sense devoting yourselves to the teachings of the apostles. This is now devoting yourselves to the apostles. And Paul tells the Galatians, he says, no, 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 no. The gospel, devote yourself. If me or another person preaches another gospel except what you have heard, let that person be accursed. Don't listen to them. Even if you call them papa, even if you call them daddy, even whatever you call them, do not be devoted to them. Be devoted to the teachings of what was passed on to you. Are you there? Apollos came preaching Christ well, but didn't know the baptism of Christ. Now, when you are devoted to Apollos, I follow Apollos. But you follow a man who does not even know the baptism that you need for your confirmation in Christ. You are like a man following Nicodemus, a teacher of the law. Who preaches to you by day and by night he goes to reveal his ignorance to Christ. He says, how can this? And yet when he's in front of you, he's a man of power. Am I saying we shouldn't honor leadership? No, 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 no. I'm just giving you steps to how we should honor leadership without dishonoring the Lord. Shall we stand up? Are you okay? I'm okay myself. As we pray, here's what I want you to understand. Church leaders are under authority. It is wrong to exercise that authority outside the one who has given that authority. It is wrong to usurp, to steal 
from Christ what he has given to us as leaders. And it is very naive of us, of you as a church, to simply follow because we lead. You have responsibilities like the Bereans to check what is loading over your life. Is it Jesus or is it me? Is it the elders of the church? It is wrong to say, ah, these things, Murut, we just do them differently. Go and check how people have given themselves over to pastors, even to their own detriment. Go and see how many people have sold houses, given cars. Today they are destitute. Some people hate the church. Children hate church and God because their parents were sold to church witchcraft and manipulation where it was loaded over them. And they didn't hear from God. They didn't hear from scripture. They didn't follow scripture. They simply heard the man that they said, I follow Mutepe. And Jesus says, in some instances, these are blind men leading the blind and both will fall into a ditch. And now we hear people who are dying because of the things they drank, things they ate, who are in debt today. Houses have been confiscated. Why? Because people went to take loans to buy the pastor a car. Is it bad to own our leaders? No. It shouldn't be under manipulation and church witchcraft. Are you there, say? So I just want us to pray. Pray for discernment. Pray for what? Discernment. Pray for us that we don't lead you blindly. Pray that we will find truth as leaders in our hearts so that when we lead you, truthfully where we lead you, you will end with Christ, not far from him. Are you there? Let's pray before we make announcements. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We pray for those who are hearing us from wherever they are hearing us, Lord. May they find it in their hearts to know that the church belongs to you. And what you have done is you have first placed the priesthood of all believers, the apostles, you've placed these ones as you started, Lord. Help us to get to a place where we can understand that man does not own church. He does not have full authority. Whether he's an apostle, whether he's an an evangelist, a prophet, teacher, pastor. We are but mere vessels and trusted Lord with specific assignment of building the church alongside you as your co-workers, not as owners, Lord. That we are not supposed to be overbearing. We are not supposed to be loading it over people. I pray that you give your church a discerning heart. 
to know that there is only but one Savior. As Paul says, follow me only insofar as I follow Christ. If I cease to follow Christ, do not follow me, but continually devote yourself to what the apostles have handed us down the, the, the word of God that is inspired, that is able to rebuke, to correct, to train so that we are fully equipped lacking nothing. Teach us to be like Berean's law, to test and see if whether these things be so. If the one who stands in front of us is saying what you are saying and confirm the things you are saying by your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for those that are sick. Stretch your hand of grace and heal them in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. May we represent you with agency as we go out of place, this place, Lord, to our various homes over the week, to jobs and all the activities we'll engage in. Remind us, speak to each one of us, you are my witness, so that we may witness wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen.